Well, hello and welcome back to GPS to God, and we are glad that you're with us um, for another episode, and we would love for you to find us on YouTube and subscribe. You can find us at Parkway Baptist Goodlettsville, and make sure you hit that subscribe button and like us and tell us uh, tell all your friends. Also, find us on uh, Spotify and iTunes, and make sure you like and subscribe so you can find us easier, and all your friends can find us as well. Uh, you can email us at podcast at parkwaybc.net. Tell us what you want to hear about. Tell us the great job that we're doing and <laughs> maybe bring back a guest. Or, only, uh, only the good stuff, though. Don't yeah, bring out the negative yeah, stuff. Yeah. We don't want to hear it. Or you can say, you know, <laughs> there's don't. No, there's no negative stuff, Ryan. Right? There's no negative stuff. I, I agree with you 100%. <laughs> you might want to tell us not to bring someone back, but uh, <laughs> that would not be the case today. We... Last week was just the three amigos here, so we had to pretty this place up a little bit. So we have Miss <laughs> Amanda Edson with us today, and she's going to share some great stories and grief share and, and overcoming that kind of thing. So we'll get to that in just a minute, but we want to say thank you for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. Oh, we, we are very glad that you um, chose to come on here with us and for sure pretty the place up. Um, well, thank you. This is my first ever podcast, participating or watching, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, you, you, a lot of firsts today. You're, 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 <laughs> you've passed so far. So. Yes. Good, good. Yes. Normally, I have to stare at Ryan, so this will be... You don't like when I bat my eyes at you? <laughs> <laughs> See, the thing is, Ryan and I play on the same softball team. Yep. We play right next to each other in the outfield. We do. And he's always talking bad to me. <laughs> You're you know, so during, full of it. During the games. <laughs> I, I mean, that's pretty much true. So the other day, right, we played – you want to tell them the news? Congrats, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Congrats yeah, are in go. order. So, hey, geez. I didn't even Shanks notice here, that. Right? I didn't even notice that. We, we, yes. we won the whole thing. So <laughs> The whole thing. We, we won the championship. But during that game, I think it was the championship game because we had a, another semifinal game before that. That was, a good, that was a good one right there. Yes, it was. But I hit the ball. I'm on first base. Someone, I think, was on second base maybe when I hit. And the the defense kind of threw the ball around a little bit. And so it kind of got away from them. And it was rolling between oh. first base and, and home plate. You, you turn and you're like, oh, that's Hampton. So I took a step or two off first base, really just to kind of keep the defense on. I wasn't really going to run. Okay. But, you know, there was someone else on base, so I was kind of tempting them, trying to get the get another run in. <laughs> Ryan from the dugout. I came running out of that dugout. From the dugout yells out, don't do it. <laughs> you know which body you're in. <laughs> that, that's a direct quote. Nice. Well, that was quote on quote everything. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I felt really great. You know. That's a confidence booster. That, right? that my own teammate was. That was better than me, me saying, like "Don't think about being six or whatever yeah. I used to say oh, to you. Yeah. Yeah. He had another phrase at the beginning of the year, but uh, that's an inside joke that would take too long to explain and yes. not be funny to anybody. Yes. So. Pretty much. But, uh, yeah, he, he kept me in check there in front of the entire stadium. I say stadium. It's not a stadium. but It's know. a stadium when you win yeah. the championship. Yeah. So yeah. I, will, I will say that it's was probably bigger. the first game that I've been at playing softball that we had that many people at. It's awesome. Yeah. We had a, I mean, we had a good amount of parkway there. That was, right. that was awesome. Yeah, I would say we had at least 50 people on our side. That's great. Yeah. That's great. The other, yeah. the other side had some, not, not near as many, but. 
Yeah, yeah. pretty good crowd for a church league softball. I'm used to I'm used to playing softball, and there's like three people, and one of them's there because they have to because they have to keep score. Yeah. yeah. Somebody's wife got roped into yeah. keeping the book. Well, uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about grief share, and Amanda is going to share part of her story with us. And she has a, a very good story, but it, it's a very um, uh, emotional story at the same time. And, and we just, like with all the topics we have, we, we want to try and be a help to someone else who may be going through something similar or has gone through something um, similar recently just just to um help show the the you know things will get better and what you may be feeling now is not what you're going to continue to feel um so amanda if you would kind of just tell everybody your story a little bit as far as your family and children and and that kind of thing okay um so my husband zach and i met when we were in high school and dated for about six years we got married right after we graduated college uh so this year will have been 21 years that we've been together which is hard to believe you barely look 21 <laughs> years old <laughs> 14 married six dating so uh, that would only be 20 i'm better at math than that yeah. so 15 this year i just can't believe you dealt with him that long yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he feels the same way that he can't believe he's dealt with me that long either. Uh, but we were married for about 10 years before we had our first daughter. And so our daughter Zoe was born in 2015 and was a very uh, normal pregnancy as far as first pregnancies go. Those are always nerve wracking, but, you know, thankfully was a healthy pregnancy, healthy delivery. And about uh, two years after she had been born, we decided that we wanted to try to expand our family. Um, so in 2018, we found out that we were expecting again. Um, and I can vividly remember that at five weeks in that pregnancy, I got started feeling sick. Um, we were headed to Chuck E. Cheese, which is one of Zach and Zoe's favorite places to go. And I can remember sitting in the parking lot and going, oh, no, so, if I don't get something to eat right now, we're going to have a problem. So is it for Zach or for Zoe? It's, it's really for it's both. Oh, it's, it's for both. Zach, so he Zach has Zoe out, as a good excuse. Yes. He has his own games that he likes to play, and he figured out the system of you buy the unlimited hour, and, like, he can tag her into a game, and he can go tag into a few himself, and they, you know, work the system to get tickets. And I can imagine him in the in like the ball pit or you know up in the tunnel somewhere (laughs) yes he's trying to get the tickets to get the big prizes we have a Chuck E. Cheese is about five feet tall that they won off tickets Uh, yeah (laughs) you you were sick on your second pregnancy about five weeks on but during your first pregnancy with Zoe did you have any sickness at all or was this kind of just kind of the normal like I had started early on and then by about 14 weeks or so when that second trimester starts, then I felt fine um, and was healthy really through the whole pregnancy. So that was really different this time was that it started at five weeks and it literally lasted until the minute our son was delivered. Um, And I basically was a step above bedridden, Um, just horribly sick all the time. Nothing really worked to make it any better. Um, And that's challenging when you have a two and a half year old that you're also trying to take care of. Uh, and Zach's job has him traveling a lot, so he was out of town, you know, for work pretty often, um, which was difficult. So sick from about five weeks on and really thought that that was kind of going to be the challenge that we were going to have to face with that pregnancy was just getting through the physical aspects of it for me. Um, 
and I had been a nervous mom the first pregnancy and decided I was going to do it differently this time. I was not going to be, you know, nervous and was just going to kind of relax and enjoy it. Uh, so I really tried to take that approach to it as much as I could, and things went fairly smoothly. Uh, we had a couple of issues early on, but we'd had ultrasounds and tests, and we're told everything looked great. So we went into our 20-week ultrasound, the anatomy ultrasound, where they kind of check everything over in detail. Um, and I can remember sitting in the room and thinking that they took a really long time looking at his heart. Um, so after the excitement of finding out that he was a boy, which we were so excited about, I can remember thinking, like, wow, we're going to get to raise a daughter and a son. This is incredible. I'm, it's exactly what we wanted. Um, they spent a long time looking at his heart, and I can remember thinking, I'll be glad when I hear that everything's fine with that because – that's not really what they're supposed to be doing and but they never let on that anything was wrong so we went back out to the waiting room and they called us back a second time for something else that they wanted to look at but said they had just missed a picture that they wanted to get and so we had another ultrasound sent us back out to the waiting room and at this point Zach had a meeting that he needed to get to for work and I can remember saying oh it's fine they're going to call us back tell us everything looks great um so it's okay you can go on and I'll just call you when it's over so they took me back to the waiting room um back to the physician's room and as soon as our doctor walked in the door I could just tell something was wrong her face was really down she said well we saw a few things we need to talk about so I said okay she said we've seen some cysts on his brain that can be there in a lot of pregnancies but his look pretty pronounced um, there's also a possible heart issue you know that we've seen uh, but size wise he's looking great everything else looked fine so we really don't think that this is going to be a major issue uh, but these two things together do kind of warrant sending you to a specialist for a second opinion. When, so, so when you got okay. this news, Zach left mm -hmm. to go to work. Did you call him immediately after this or did no. you wait to go home? And, so and I had to wait until we got out. I got out into the car in the parking garage at the doctor's office. So I'm taking all this in totally by myself, um, which was not ideal. It would have been nice to have... Right. They, him there for support, but also just another set of ears. Right. Yeah. Um, because the shock of hearing all of that, I don't think I really processed what they were telling me. Um, because the nurse who was setting us up for the appointment with the specialist, she said, We're going to try to get you in as soon as possible because I know if this was me, I wouldn't want to wait that long. And right. I remember thinking, Well, what a strange thing to say to somebody. Like, what do you mean if this was you? And so it just wasn't registering with me that they really thought anything was wrong at that point. So, left the doctor's office from there we had to wait a week and a half for the specialist appointment and on the way back to my parents house to pick zoe up i had called zach and he had called a physician friend of his and kind of you know talked through some of what they saw there and i couldn't remember the name of the cyst that they had said they saw in his brain so i remember getting out my phone and googling which is always a terrible idea just never ever google health things ever um and so when I looked up these cysts, trisomy 18 came up, which is a genetic condition that's typically characterized by cysts on the brain and heart conditions. I remember thinking, okay, that's not great. Those are the two things they just told me, but they didn't mention this as a possibility, so surely we'll be fine. Uh, but I spent that whole week and a half just terrified that, you know, that was even a possibility that we might be facing. Right. Um, so after we got through that, I remember going to the specialist appointment, and we pulled in, again, nervous wreck of what we were going to be facing that day, and they did another ultrasound, and um, the technician said, okay, well, we do see those cysts on his brain, and I remember thinking, okay, those are there, it's an issue, that's what we'll have to deal with, it's fine. 
um, continued. She said, we also see the heart issue that they were saying and kind of explained some more about that. It's like, all right, so we've got a heart condition. We'll just take care of those two things. Like, that's what we've got to deal with. She said, Annie's also measuring really small. And so at that point, I just lost it. She said, we really think you need to consider some genetic testing with all these things combined. That just really is an indicator that, you know, we think something is wrong. So what what does the genetic testing entail? How do they go about doing that? Um, so there's some different ways that they can do it. Early on in your pregnancy, they can do some blood tests, um, just a simple blood draw. At this point um, in the pregnancy, the best way that they could get information was through an amniocentesis. And so that involves a very long needle um, that is inserted into the abdomen. And so you're completely awake for it. It's kind of like going to the dentist where they just numb the area that they're going to do that, Um, have ultrasound going at the same time so they can watch the baby while they're doing that. Um, And then they insert, and that's the way that they draw out amniotic fluid for genetic testing. Uh, So our doctor was excellent and kind of told us what those options were. Did we want to pursue that? Did we not? Because there are some risk of miscarriage, you know, when you have that kind of testing done. Um, And I can remember saying, like, I just didn't think we were going to have to consider this, so I don't know what to do here. And he's like, well, I really think for you all that the likelihood of a serious genetic issue is greater than the likelihood of a complication from doing this test. Mm. Um, So he stepped out, gave us some time to pray and talk it over and kind of decide what we wanted to do. And we decided to go through the testing. Um, I can remember Zach saying, we will walk out of here right now. We don't have to do this. If if you don't want to have to do this, I completely understand. I won't make you do this. You know, I was like, no, I just, we need to know. Um, So we did the amnio and that was on a Thursday. And he said, usually we get the results back pretty quickly. So hopefully we'll have something for you, you know, tomorrow or at the latest, maybe on Monday. And so, of course, as things run, we didn't find out until Monday. We had to spend the whole weekend uh, waiting for that answer. He had called to check on us on Friday. And I remember we both just jumped thinking, OK, we're about to get the results. And he really was just being a good doctor and calling to check on us. Kind of went through that. I had a few complications from the amnio. You're usually supposed to just kind of bounce back quickly from those. I had a lot of pain um, after mine, which was unsettling. Um, so the next, the following Monday, uh, my niece was in town, and so Chuck E. Cheese comes into play again, and we were taking <laughs> Zoe and Chuck my niece. Yeah, Every excuse like, Zach can get. No kidding. <laughs> So we had taken them. He, he's saving up tickets for that next prize. He need, he needs the, the eight-foot-tall Chuck E. Cheese. Right? Yeah. Who yeah. wants pizza? <laughs> Everybody. I know it, the place. Although nobody really wants Chuck E. Cheese. I, I I should, think, but. I, I've had it a couple times. It, it wasn't bad. I, I liked no. it. it. had a good, like, the crust was like a buttery no. crust. Like, it was good, you know? Anyway. Yeah. So, so I uh, go with you. Is it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need to call Zach. He'll take you anytime. Hey, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Let's take the kids out. So Yeah. So you had to wait for, yeah, for the results. Yeah, so we had to wait for the results. And so I was with my parents, actually, this time, and my niece and uh, Zoe. We had taken them to the Kids Museum down in Murfreesboro just as something to do during the summer. Um, and so I got the call while I was inside. I asked the doctor. I was like, hey, I'm inside Chuck E. Cheese. Can you give me a minute to step out? He was like, we can do this another time. And it, kind of at that point, I knew, okay, the news we're about to get is not good. Because if right. he was calling to say, hey, everything really looked great, he mm-hmm. wouldn't have wanted to know if we could do that at another time. And and so you said 
you were with your mom and the kids. Zach wasn't there to hear this he again. He was at work. So you're right. having to so retain all this information I had gotten a phone again. Call. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I stepped outside, sat on a little retaining wall outside of this Chuck E. Cheese in Murfreesboro. Um, and he said, well, we got the results. Your son has trisomy 18. That is a condition where there's an extra copy of the 18th chromosome. Um, and this condition is not compatible with life. And so that is the terminology that they use um, when it's a condition where the baby's not expected to survive. is just incompatible with life. Um, so, so when he said that, did he give you time frames or did he... Was it kind of open-ended? And it was sort of open-ended. So a lot of times with um, trisomy 18, babies either are miscarried early on. Um, so it's like a one in several thousand chance that you're going to have a baby that has trisomy 18. Um, it may actually be different than that because a lot likely happen earlier on in pregnancy before genetic testing and things could be done. So you wouldn't necessarily know that a miscarriage was due to a trisomy. Um, if that doesn't happen, then babies are, you know, lost sometime during the pregnancy. After 20 weeks, that's considered stillborn um, because you have to go through labor and delivery and deliver when you're past that 20-week point. Um, so they're either stillborn, pass away sometime during labor and delivery, um, or they don't really survive much past the first year. Um, there are children who are living with trisomy 18. Girls seem to survive a little more than boys do. Um, but with a lot of developmental delays and some really serious challenges, heart issues and issues with other organ systems. Um, so he had told us that the most likely thing that would happen would be at that point a stillbirth, um, passing sometime during labor and delivery or, you know, not living too long after delivery within that first year. Um, and so he had, you know, said incompatible with life and, um, asked us, you know, did we want to continue the pregnancy? And for us, that really was a non-consideration. Um, we would not have chosen to do anything differently. So, so I said, absolutely not. Like, we'd absolutely want to consider, you know, continue with the pregnancy. Um, that's not a choice for us that we would ever make. And so. Um, so afterward, did you ever question during the pregnancy that decision? Because I know, like. Yeah. It's kind of, I think most Christians would say, mm -hmm. I'm I'm never going to consider that. But when you're actually walking through and having issues, yes. you know, your feet are put to the fire, you, you may question or may um, uh, think, you know, have serious thought about yeah. other options, abortion or whatever yeah. um, that the doctors would do. So was it, was it easy for you to stick to that? Was it tough? Did um, you ever waver or... I actually found for us it was easy to stick to, um, but I can say that I can totally see where that would be something that would be really hard that people might would mm -hmm. have some struggle in thinking through because as a parent you never want your child to suffer, you know. So if there is, if at any point we had learned that his condition was causing him to be in pain or, um, you know, we had to make some tough decisions when we got to the point of labor and delivery of what kind of care after he's born, if we know that it's terminal, you know, how much intervention do we want to do? Do we want to pursue heart surgeries that are going to cause him a lot of pain, knowing that, you know, the final outcome likely was not going to change. Um, so we faced a lot of really tough decisions of trying to think through 
um, you know, how did we want to handle those things? And it's just decisions that as a parent, you never want to have to make. Right. Um, but for us, as far as continuing the pregnancy, you know, that was not really something that we struggled with, but we also had a great support system around us too. So I can only imagine how difficult it would be if you get that kind of diagnosis or facing that kind of situation and you don't have, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. friend and family support or a single mom, you know, just all kinds of different family scenarios right. where that or would you, be really difficult to yeah. try to work through those decisions. Or even the financial side for someone who, right. who is looking at, you know, all the op- all operations and procedures and everything that you've said, and yeah. e- even just going through the labor and delivery, you mm-hmm. know, the, the financial impacts of yeah. that, you know, without doing all the extra stuff could make someone question or, or right. you know, have hesitation on continuing yeah. or not. So. But for us, I'm so thankful that we did because that was the time that we had with him, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so I know we'll continue his story, but that just was – and that came, became hard to accept as well because early on when we got his diagnosis, um, there was a period a few days after I'd gotten the phone call from the doctor where I wasn't really feeling him move. And I thought, okay, this is it. Like, we've lost him. Um, and honestly, a part of me was a little bit relieved, uh, which is hard to admit. But I thought, okay, like, it's it's happened. It's happened. We're here. Um I'm not going to have to continue. He's not going to suffer. You know, there's just all these things that kind of have been taken away, the the hard part of it, parts of the hard part of it. Um, and then pretty quickly after that, he gave me one of the hardest kicks that he ever gave me <laughs> <laughs> during pregnancy. And he's like, no, Mom, I'm still here. And we're going to do this. I was like, okay. Um, so I'm so thankful that that was not the time that we lost him. But I can remember, you know, having that that thought that crossed my mind. Right. Um at that time pretty shortly after and i know mother's intuition on miscarriages or something earlier even before you feel the baby yeah. moving i'm amazed that they're something's not right you, you right. know they just know yeah. we, we need to go get checked out we need an ultrasound or what yeah. we need to go see the doctor because something's not right right yeah. and, and that's something my wife and i christy has experienced you know we were nowhere near the baby moving or anything like that where she could feel it and she but we got to go i'm making an appointment something's not right so that's yeah. i'm amazed that i'm always amazed at god's creation but how he yeah. puts that into moms and mothers to know when something is mm-hmm. is off like yeah. that and i think that was something that's been a struggle on this side of it was we'd gotten so much reassurance before that 20-week ultrasound that everything was fine um And I can remember having thoughts of like, I don't think I'm going to get to keep him or, you know, I'm not sure that everything is right here. And I can remember asking God, like, please just let us keep him. Please don't take him. Um, And feeling like we were getting all that reassurance up to that 20 weeks. So then when we get this news Mm -hmm. at 20 weeks, it was just like having the rug pulled straight out from underneath you, you know, because you think, okay, we've gotten to this point. Everything's going to be fine. We didn't miscarry in the first trimester. Like, everything should be smooth sailing from here. And you just never – you don't realize the things that can happen and that do happen to so many women all the time and families. Um, and so then when it's happening to you, it's just – it's really shocking yeah. when that, you know, is your experience. So you all um, have gotten the news. The doctors have told you he's not going to – not compatible with life. I'm kind of – when you told me that the first time, 
I don't know what I expected the doctors to say, but that's kind of cold sounding to me, you know, and I I know they're trying to be as delicate as possible and, and, you know, they choose their words carefully, but did that strike you as overly cold or just, were you happy that he was just straightforward and kind of giving you, you know, letting you know as early as he could let you know what to expect? Right. Um, at the appointment where we had had the amniocentesis and the ultrasound, he had gone over some things that just in his opinion he thought we might be facing. Um, babies with trisomy 18 usually have their fingers are crossed is one of their kind of traits that they have. Um, ears can be a little lower set. There can be some issues with the feet. They can have a cleft lip. Like there's some physical markers that can be common of babies with trisomy 18. And so based on the ultrasound he was telling us some things that he thought could be likely and i remember him telling us about trisomy 18 there's also trisomy 13 so extra copy of the 13th chromosome um and down syndrome is another trisomy um just trisomy of the 21st chromosome i think um and so the first time we heard that word was actually in the office with him he was like you know i think there's several genetic conditions that would be considered incompatible with life um and that, I mean, it was hard to hear that you think, okay, so my baby's not fit, you know, to s- survive. And um, it's, yeah, it's a hard terminology to hear. But I think at that point we were almost kind of relieved just to have an answer. I mean, the anxiety of waiting and wondering and could it be this and maybe it's not and um, is this what we're going to face? Is this not what we're going to face? Uh, I think at that point just to hear it and kind of know like, okay, this is what we've got before us was – obviously horrible and not what we wanted to hear at all and devastating uh, but also somewhat of a relief to just be out of that waiting period of Mm -hmm. wondering you know what was going to happen and was something wrong or was something not wrong and yeah yeah. so so you got you were around 21 22 weeks Mm -hmm. maybe when when you have this second conversation with the doctor and the you know he tells you not compatible with life what was it like pregnancy-wise for you from that point up until the the labor and delivery point? Um, So at that point, we had to, one of the strangest things was that that then the doctors started having us kind of make care plans. I mean, usually when you're going through pregnancy, the doctors are like, okay, we want to see you every four weeks until this point, and then you're going to start coming in every two weeks after that, and then at this point, it's going to be every week, and we're going to do your gestational diabetes test at this point, and... um, so then once we get this news, they were kind of like, how often do you want to come in? Like, I, that's not something I'm supposed to choose. You're supposed <laughs> right. to tell me that. Like, why? <laughs> right. That's not my place. Yeah. I want to come in all the time. Um, I'll be here every day. And you just, you know, we're going to do this every day <laughs> until he's here. Um, so that was strange and something that I was kind of unprepared for. Um, and then we spent a lot of the pregnancy the rest of the pregnancy, um, meeting with specialists, we actually went to see a heart doctor. Um, cause for Zach and I, the way that we approached it was if he didn't have trisomy, if this was just a normal pregnancy, you know, and we didn't know that this was going to be the outcome, what decisions would we make as parents? So if we knew our baby had a heart issue, we would go see a heart specialist. You know, if we knew that there were things going on we would do everything that we could as parents to try to make sure that we could take care of that um so in the hope that he would survive after birth we wanted to be prepared to do as much for him as we could without causing him 
additional discomfort or pain, um, you know, that would not prolong life or be of any benefit to him in prolonging his life. Um, so we met with cardiologists, we met with neonatologists, um, at the hospital that we were going to deliver at. Uh, and there's also a hospice program specifically for babies that have terminal diagnosis. Um, a live hospice has a wonderful program and people that they work with that kind of set up walking you through, you know, decisions that you can make after delivery, trying to decide, you know, what do you want to do in terms of oxygen decisions and what kind of interventions do you want to do at birth and do you want to go to the NICU or not? And so we had all of these litany of decisions that we had to try to make um, and kind of plan A through Z based on what the outcome was. Um, so we had to do all of that, and then I continued to have health issues, so I was still horribly sick uh, through the rest of the pregnancy. Um, I ended up having um, an additional complication where I had too much amniotic fluid, and so it made me a lot larger than I should have been at that point, which was very uncomfortable, um, and also carried with it some risk of early labor and you know just additional things that kind of could happen from that and a lot of that was from the fact that his body couldn't process uh, amniotic fluid and, and things the way that it was supposed to um, because several of his organs and things just were not developed in the way that they should have been um, so it was not an easy rest of the pregnancy at all still very sick very uncomfortable um, so physically very difficult on top of emotionally and mentally and all of those other aspects of knowing what we were going to face and how long did you carry, how long were you pregnant until the labor, you yeah. went into labor? So I went into labor at home right past 37 weeks. Uh, so we were right at what's considered full term yeah. um, for that. It was a Sunday, and Zoe was with my parents. We had eaten lunch um, and were at home sitting on the couch watching sports of some kind, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> and all of a sudden my water broke and I was in labor, and... Uh, that was terrifying uh, because we knew he was still alive at that point. And so we knew that once delivery came, what the likelihood was going to be, that that was going to be the time that we lost him. Right. Um, so I can remember trying to gather things up. We didn't have a hospital, but like nothing was prepared because um, we'd had no indication from doctors at any prior visits to expect that he was going to be delivered anytime soon. Um so I can just remember screaming and crying, God, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Please don't make me do this yet. I'm not ready. Um, so we packed things up, called Zoe at my parents' house on the way to the hospital and just kind of talked to her and made sure she was settled because we didn't know how long we would be at the hospital. Um, we had not told her. Once we got his diagnosis, we decided not really to keep the pregnancy a secret, but just not to make it a point of regular conversation with her um, because she wasn't three yet. And we felt like with so many variables and what the outcome could be that trying to explain that to an almost three-year-old um, was just going to be too difficult to do that in a way that she could understand. And she uh, probably was young enough that your physical changes with the pregnancy right. didn't really register with yeah. her as to what was going on no. or, or why that would happen if she noticed at all. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really kind of a blessing and, you it know, right. that she was the age she was. Yeah. In some ways she was just kind of oblivious to, right. you know, it was just mommy didn't feel good or mommy was tired. And so she kind of got used to new routines at that time, but she didn't realize, you know, what exactly was going on. So 
So she didn't ask questions or anything? Not really. Okay. No. She, um, when we were going to the hospital, we had just told her we were going on a trip. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad were going on a trip because mm-hmm. Zach and I had done that before. We had gone maybe on a, one of his work trips on an overnight, and she would stay with my parents. Um, so she just thought, you know, mom and dad have to go on a trip, and we'll be back, and we'll call you soon. And um, that was kind of the way we decided to handle that. Um, I've questioned that. That's probably been one of the decisions that we've questioned the most is, was that the right thing to do? Um because she knows a lot about her brother now. And so as she's getting older now, she has questions. Okay. You know, did I get to meet him, Mom? Why didn't I get to meet him? Um, do we have pictures of him there? What was he like? So there's a lot of questions she has now, and that I'm sure she'll continue to have as she gets older, that maybe in hindsight we would have done things differently, but we just felt like it was the best way to protect her yeah. as well, you know, going through that time. Well, I think as she gets older, you know, she'll understand, you know, none of you really got to meet him or, or know. Right. I mean, that's obvi- obviously different for for the mother because you have, um, you know, you're carrying him. But um, I think she'll come to appreciate that you were trying to do everything you could for Miles. Right. But also protecting her as well and, and yeah. trying to, to still parent her yes. in the best way you knew how so. yeah and that was one of his little characteristics because he did have some personality traits that he showed through pregnancy and so one of the things that was funny was that he would never move or kick or do anything for anybody else and so um zach never got to feel him move um and my mom would try and he just like would not cooperate And the second she would move her hand then he'd start kicking like crazy and we would go for ultrasounds or they would be looking at his heart you know during cardiology visits and he would just not cooperate if they needed him to turn left he would turn right and so he just was um spunky and showed (laughs) a lot of stubbornness and spunk that reminded me of his older sister um even in pregnancy so 38 weeks around Mm -hmm. 38 weeks is when you went into labor um you get to the hospital and and what happens when you actually get there and kind of go into the to the actual labor and delivery part um so we had met with a live hospice and we kind of had a plan again plan a through z of what we wanted to do and not do um and funny things on how god and how things are timed out uh, we were supposed to have our final meeting with Alive the next day. And so we had not finalized a lot of the plans because we were going to do that the next day, um, which ended up in some ways being a blessing because some of the things that I think we had planned to do, I'm thankful that we didn't do. And so having to make some of those decisions just more on the fly um, was incredibly nerve-wracking at the time, but I think ended up you know, working out for the best at that time. Um, so we check in at the hospital and I kind of had to let them know. I don't know if our doctor had called over. I remember that we sort of had to let them know, you know, what was happening and that it was a baby with trisomy 18 and kind of all that went into that. Um, we had decided early on that we were, unless it was an issue to my health, um, that we were not going to have a C-section or do any of those kind of, um, more surgical, riskier um, interventions. Um, And again, you kind of question those decisions. Was that the right decision or not? Because if he had not had trisomy, obviously we would have done whatever it took to have him born alive and healthy, but we just didn't feel like 
some of those risks were the right thing to do with the information that we had. Um, so we had to communicate all of those things to the hospital and to the nurses. And um, so we did that, and they sent us into triage and kind of checked things. And we did um, one more recording of his heartbeat. I had recorded on my phone and just asked the nurse, you know, could we get an ultrasound and a recording of his heartbeat? And she said, of course. And so we did that. Um, and then moved us into labor and delivery. So that was on a Sunday evening. Um, and labor and delivery was incredibly difficult. Um, at one point, they couldn't find his heartbeat. And um, so I thought, okay, again, this is the point that we've lost him. And then all of a sudden, there was his heartbeat again. He was still there. Um, and the stress of all that uh, caused me to have some physical reactions during labor and delivery. At one point they had to bring in a crash team because I felt like I was having a heart attack. My heart just, my chest tightened up and I felt horribly sick and my pulse was racing and I couldn't really see straight. And so I remember like I couldn't hit the button on the bed and Zach's running out into the hall screaming for somebody to come in. Um, they start checking my heart and they're like, everything looks fine. We don't see anything, but I still felt like I was having a heart attack. Um, so that was an adventure in itself, having all that going on. The epidural that I received did not work, and so that quit working right before he was delivered, which mm. is also horrible. <laughs> um, so they had to bring in anesthesia to kind of help through some of that and wait for my doctor to get there for him to be delivered. Um, and so I was in labor for just over 30 hours, I wow. think. Of labor and delivery, which was much longer than had we had experienced with Zoe. Um, hers was quite a bit less than that. Uh, and so he was born very early in the morning on November 13th, um, and he was stillborn. So he had passed away sometime during labor and delivery. Um, so I can remember, you know, the nurses saying, well, you know, let's deliver. You're about to meet your son. And I remember thinking, you have no idea what you're talking about because... Mm -hmm. You know, we know what meeting him is going to mean, and that's not like an exciting thing that we're going through. Um, and so when he was born, the doctor just said, you know, I think he's already passed. Um, so, so obviously so we lost it at that point. And do you think that the nurses knew what was going on or, or maybe not? or I know that this nurse did, um, and I think that she was just trying to be encouraging, you know, and, and that point of labor and delivery of – you know, you're at the really tough part. Right. And so I think she really was just trying to help calm me down and trying to be encouraging. And, um, you know, it's thankfully not something I think they have to deal with too often. Um, I think it happens more often than we realize. Right. Um, but I don't know if this nurse, you know, had experienced a delivery of a stillbirth or, you know, an, a loss at birth like that. And so, um, I don't think it was intended to be. I think the intention was good. Yeah. Um, mm. And she knew. She had been our nurse when we checked in at triage on Sunday and ended up, she was not my favorite nurse at the time. <laughs> but when she came in and was our nurse for delivery, she was exactly who we needed. I mean, God gave us exactly the nurse that we needed at that time, and she became just a really special person to us during the time that we were there. Um so, yeah, the doctor at delivery just said she thought that he had already passed, and so they checked him. Um, she asked if I wanted to hold him or did we want to, you know, kind of clean him up and wrap first. So they did what they would do with most babies and cleaned him up a little bit, wrapped him up, and handed him to us. Um, and so we got a little bit of time just to meet him. 
um, and hold him and uh, just have him there with us. My mom came, and she was able to come in. And at that point, she didn't know whether or not he had been born alive or not. And so Zach had to tell her on the way down the hallway, you know, that no, he didn't survive through birth um, so that she could be ready when she walked into the room. Um, And the hospital was wonderful. They had a photographer on staff um, that they called and the photographer came to our hospital room at two o'clock in the morning and took some beautiful photos of him. Um, And there are organizations out there that specifically take photos for people who lose a child in the hospital. It's called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep is the name of the organization. It's free photographers that you can arrange to come out to the hospital that take beautiful black and white pictures Mm. um, of the baby, of you as a family, of any other family members, you know, that you want to have there with you. There's no charge to families for that. They professionally edit the photos and um, give those back to you. So we were really fortunate in that we got two sets of pictures. We got the hospital photography right after he was born, which I'm so thankful for because his condition changed, you know, as time mm. went on. Um, and then now I lay me down to sleep, came out the next day, and we were able to do another set of pictures. And um, you don't realize how special those are until that's really all you have, right? you know, yeah. to look at. So um, they did that early in the morning. And then we were moved to a separate room um, after that, and the hospital had what's called a cuddle cot, Um, that allows you to keep the baby in the room with you for a longer period of time after birth. Um, It's a cooling system, and so they put them just in a regular hospital cot, and it's this little cooling pad uh, with a fan kind of attached to it, and so it keeps the body cool so that there's not that deterioration that happens quite as quickly. And a lot of times those are donated by bereaved families, so families that have experienced a Mm -hmm. loss typically donate those cuddle cots um i have a friend in georgia whose daughter was born with anencephaly which is where the brain and head don't fully form and so she lived for a few hours after birth but her family has donated a cuddle cot to their local hospital and there have already been additional families that have used that cuddle cot so it really is just kind of a gift from bereaved families for hospitals to have those systems because it gives you the gift of time right yeah yeah to be able to have family members come meet the baby and to you know say goodbye a little bit more on your own terms right Um, and that's something i'd not heard of you know before hearing your story and um kind of like you said earlier happens much more than we would realize probably um to have those kind of kind of that kind of technology and those kind of things for families to to be able to say goodbye and have that little bit of time yes yeah we were so thankful for that because it did just give us the ability to get through the immediacy of labor and delivery Mm -hmm. and then kind of have you know that time for pictures and for family members to come see him and uh, to be able to spend some time you know taking in his features and looking at him and holding him and changing a diaper you know doing all of those things that you don't get to do when your baby passes and it gave us the gift of being able to do that which was great so how long was the, was the total time after birth until you had to say goodbye and kind of what was that process of yeah doing that? um so he was born around 1 or 2 a.m on the 13th uh, and we had originally decided that we were going to go ahead and say goodbye that evening um 
but when that time came, we decided that we weren't ready and we couldn't do that. And so, um, we kept him through the night with us. Um, and I was thankful for that because, you know, Zach was sleeping and I really was not being able to sleep at that point. And so I got to just have some time, just him and I, um, Miles and I, you know, kind of holding him and resting and, um, taking a few pictures and just doing some things uh, with him through that middle of the night phase that's so common when you have a newborn you know you're used to being up at night that's what you do with a newborn right. and so I got to have a little bit of that experience um, that night and so the following afternoon uh, we had noticed that he really was starting to deteriorate and his appearance was really changing um, and it was just time we kind of just had this piece that it was time that we needed to say goodbye um, and have those goodbyes. So we'd had family come meet him. We had done some pictures uh, the day before. Um, and so Zach came and we sat and we both just talked to Miles and kind of said the things, you know, that we felt like we wanted to say. And um, others at the hospital had donated little knitted caps and blankets and gowns and things for families that, you know, come and need those things which is also wonderful. There's lots of bereaved families that take that on, you know, kind of as their mission. Um, another family that I know whose daughter was stillborn for no explained reason. She just was totally fine. And then the next day, no heartbeat, you know, at 36, 37, mm -hmm. in that 30 week period, yeah. um, they started an organization called Clara stocking. Their daughter's name was Clara. And so because she was born right around Thanksgiving, they take boxes and Christmas stockings every year and they fill it with items specifically for bereaved families. Oh, and they drop them off at the awesome. hospital where they that delivered. It's very cool. Um, and do that every year. So another great organization that is helping families like ours. Um, so we had, you know, we wrapped him up in a blanket that we had brought from home Um and kind of had him in a little outfit that somebody had donated because what we had purchased was far too big. He was three pounds, seven ounces, uh, 16 and a half inches long. Um, and so wrapped him up and swaddled him up and kind of said our goodbyes. And then a nurse, we had to call a nurse in. And I actually had to physically hand him to a nurse um, who carried him out of the room. And truthfully, that the pain of that was far worse than anything that we had experienced during labor and delivery, which is really saying something when your epidural doesn't work. <laughs> um, but just knowing that we needed to hand him off to someone else who was going to carry him out and that that was the last time that we would get to see him, you know, this side of heaven was um, horrible. Um, and just there, there's nothing that can prepare you for right. what that experience is like you know because that's not how it's supposed to be when yeah. you have a baby they're supposed to go home with you right it's not supposed to be that you hand them to somebody else who takes them away so one of the, one of the blessings that i see in this is that you because of this cot <clears throat> sorry that you get this extra time yeah. with with him right mm -hmm. so did the doctors ever tell you like because like if you didn't have that cot how long realistically you would have gotten uh, yeah i mean so without the cot it's hours yeah. if that um wow and really, you know, we started within one to two hours after he was born, we started noticing some physical changes um, that happened um, because we were holding him. And so that warmth yeah. speeds up right. that process. Um, so, yeah, without those cuddle cots, I mean, it's just yeah. 
almost it, it would feel immediate yeah. it probably would be realistically a couple of hours right. um but it would feel almost immediate yeah. i gotcha yeah so after you hand him off to the nurse is there um a funeral for him do you get the body to to bury or do, does the hospital take it and, and keep it or or what's that process um so f- families have some choices there um and actually in in each state it's different as to how much time you're allowed to have with them and kind of how all that works um thankfully in tennessee i don't think there were too many restrictions on what we could do and so um we actually chose to buy a funeral plot um so we have at in our 30s which is way too early um to be going and looking at funeral plots uh we have a family plot at spring hill cemetery um and so the hospital called the funeral home for us and they came to pick him up um and so he was born on a tuesday and we went home on wednesday um wednesday evening so after the nurse took him then we kind of had some time just to make sure I was doing okay physically and, um, you know, kind of handle some of that postpartum delivery stuff. And then we went home that night. Um, the nurses were very gracious in letting us know when would be a quiet time for us to leave because to walk out of a delivery Mm. area of a hospital with no car seat, no baby, you know, you're just taking your things, um, is a very difficult walk, you know, and to get into an empty car, um, the hospital was also wonderful, which I know I didn't mention that they had put us on a different floor from where um, living babies' families were. So, you know, if those normal families are up on, say, floor four or five, and you've got the baby nursery, and you're hearing the babies and the happiness of all those families, they put us on a different floor and marked the door with a card that was a leaf with a dew drop, which was a symbol for um, a loss. So anybody that was coming into the room would know okay, this family has experienced a delivery loss, so you don't have people asking to come in and see the baby and um, just sort of some protections over the family for that. So we left the hospital, um, and then that Saturday we had a funeral that was just our immediate family. Um, And tiny casket, you know, it was probably no more than this big um, that he was in. Uh, We did not get to see him because at that point, Again, you know, he had deteriorated to the point that the funeral home just recommended we not do that, um, that we keep the visual and the memories that we had of him from the hospital rather than doing that. Um, And so our pastor came and uh, did a ceremony for us that was beautiful. Um, One of the things during pregnancy was that I had sang Jesus Loves Me to him every night at bed. That just kind of became our thing. I would settle into bed, and so that's what I would sing. And so without even knowing that, uh, Brother Ken, our pastor at the time, had everybody sing Jesus Loves Me to Miles at the funeral. He's like, I just can think of no better way than for us to kind of sing that over him. And we had not told him that that was, you know, part of something that Miles and I had done through my pregnancy. And so to me, that was just one of those times of God going, I see you. Like, I've seen this. I have seen what you've walked through. I'm not blind to this. You yeah. know, I can see. I see you. Um which you have to really look hard for those moments right. when you're walking through something like that. Um, so we had a funeral and then had a memorial service here at the church where friends and family could just come and um, see us and talk to us. And uh, we did all that really quickly after he was born, which I'm not sure was 
the best decision because uh, I ended up in the hospital <laughs> again <laughs> right after that with some health issues. Um, I think just from overdoing it right. a little bit. So, so after you recover from, from the labor, um, what was the next period of time, like six months or a year or what, whatever time limit, what was that like for you? You know, physically, was it a normal recovery, but also emotionally yeah. and probably more so emotionally? What, what was the next period of time like? Um, so physically, I ended up with high blood pressure after labor and delivery. I was back in the hospital on Monday after his memorial service on Sunday um, and had to go on blood pressure medication um, just to try to get that settled out a little bit, which my doctor was not surprised by. She's like between his condition and your health, you know, kind of what you experienced and just grief, um, right. you know, and that's not the first time that I've even heard of other lost moms that don't end up with having, you know, some health issues that show themselves um, after they've lost a baby. Um, so physically still had some more struggles, which was frustrating because uh, I felt like the mental and grief and emotional and all that was enough. Um, and I had really just wanted those other things taken away. And that was not uh, the experience that I had. Um, and in those first few weeks after, um, you're almost just in kind of a shock. You know, it's like you, you know what's happened and you're grieving and everything is really hard and you're sad all the time, but it hasn't really settled in. I don't think, you know, mentally that you've had a baby and they're no longer here. They're gone. Um, you know that they are because as a woman, your body still does everything it would do if you had a living baby. Um, so you have to decide, you know, uh, three guys I'm talking to, but yeah. when milk comes in, you know, when all those things happen, right. your body doesn't know that your baby didn't live, right. um, mm -hmm. which is also just one of the things that seems a little especially cruel, um, mm -hmm. you know, that as a that you still have to go through all of those physical mm -hmm. things and decide how you want to handle that. Um that's another thing where I was thankful for some resources that I had been given. So you actually have the option to donate breast milk um, as it comes in. And so Tennessee has a milk bank that you can donate that to, and they process that and um, make sure it's safe. And then it's donated back to NICUs, you know, mm -hmm. to feed NICU babies um, that need that extra supplement. Right. Um, so I chose to go that route. Um, and donated about a thousand ounces of breast milk um, of his and that was really healing because I felt like it was something I was still being able to do right. you know for him so you still go through all of the postpartum recovery um, that you would go through if your baby had lived except that you don't have a baby there you know to yeah. kind of help take away some of the difficulty of that um, and then once you get past those first few months then you know, that's when the meals kind of stop. And, you know, I think we're really good at coming around people when they're grieving in those immediate weeks and months. You know, everybody kind of knows you bring a meal and you check in and sort of the things to do. And then as it naturally would, life goes on. You know, right. people kind of get back into daily life, but you're still having to figure <laughs> out how do I operate in the world without this person that was here or that should be here, you know, and they're not here anymore. Um and so that's really when a lot of the struggle of grief work to me kind of starts. Um, 
is just figuring out how to navigate that period and the things that you wrestle with and the questions that you have and wondering if what you're feeling is normal or not normal and um, feeling like nobody else would understand what you're going through. And um, so all of that first year is just incredibly difficult because it's every milestone that they should have had, every anniversary of their birth that should have been, they're four months old today, they're five months old today, they'd be crawling today, be starting to smile today, talk today. You know, you just have to kind of, all those milestones and expectations are there, but you're not getting to experience them, which yeah. is tough. And so, I mean, you, you struggled for about a year. Um, how did you start to, or what steps did you take to try and get over that grief and the loss that you all felt? Yeah. Um, it was challenging because men and women grieve differently. Yeah. Um, and we've, so, we've talked about that on here, yes, actually, yeah. about, um, yep. just other stuff and how we perceive things. Yeah. Men and, and women just yeah. are created differently, and there's a design and a beauty and a purpose yeah. in that. But um, And it's also physical because yeah. the ladies, the mothers are carrying the babies and doing the physical part, and you right. know, so you have that physical connection that right. the, the guys don't have, and, you know, most women just are by nature more emotional right um not that that's a bad thing but but very much we've talked about the same thing for for different things how we process things differently and he would say it so i don't think i'm saying anything that he wouldn't also say um you know zach kind of threw himself into work and so he got back into the routine of work and doing lots of things and staying Mm -hmm. busy and um that was hard for me because in some ways you can perceive that as they're moving on as if nothing happened um, which was not the case, you know, and I know that's not the case, but because we handle things so differently, that became a challenge for us to kind of navigate through of, you know, we're both handling this grief differently for him. It was hard to see me not really being able to move on, um, or move forward. I don't think you ever really move on, you know, from a loss like that, but to move forward and to see what our new normal was going to look like, um, So that was some challenge, you know, to kind of navigate through. But I had had someone suggest to me um, a support group that is specifically for mothers who have dealt with infertility or miscarriage, stillbirth, or early infant loss. You know, they've lost children in the first year to SIDS or other unexplained, you know, um, situations. And in those first six months, I put it off. I was like, no. I do not want to do that. I'm not one to want to sit and talk about my feelings with people I know, especially with people I don't know. Um, No, thank you. Like, I appreciate the (laughs) offer. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm a pretty private person, even though I'm bearing my soul here on the podcast. Um, But I just, that was not something at all that I was interested in. Um, At about the nine to ten month mark, you know, I just really felt like I was having a hard time trying to move forward at all. I had a ton of anxiety. I still fight with that, um, especially when it comes to parenting Zoe. You know, I'm just, I know what it's like to lose a child now. And so everything with her becomes scarier. Um, And that's hard because you don't want to parent that way. You don't want to be so overprotective of them. But when you've known the pain of what that feels like, you know, it just any tendencies you have to helicopter parent or to be on, it just makes them even worse. Um, so I pursued counseling and just never really found a counselor that I clicked with, um, that was able to offer tangible, helpful things. Um, 
I know that they're out there. I think counseling is wonderful. I just never found the one that was the right fit for me. Um, so I decided to give the support group a try, and really that was a game changer for me because um, it was a group of other women, lots of different stories and different types of loss and things that they had experienced, but they knew enough of what I had walked through that I finally didn't feel alone in it. You know, and I had – they were people I could talk to with no judgment. You know, I could say things that I was facing that was really hard or challenges that I had or things specific to our story um, – that were causing me difficulty and there just was, you know, no judgment in saying that and they knew what I'd gone through. Most of them had gone through it themselves. And so having that safe place to go and just talk freely was so healing um, and helping me to kind of get through the end of that first year and start to be able to change how we looked at Miles' story. Because also part of the fear is that all you know is the sadness and the grief. And so if you let that go, you almost feel like you're letting them go again. I couldn't picture what it would be like to have miles and not have the sadness kind of attached to it. Um, So I really didn't want to let it go. I kind of wanted to hang on to it because that was really all I felt like I had left. Um, So having people that I could talk to to help me reframe, you know, seeing that letting go of the grief was not going to mean letting go of him again was Mm -hmm. huge. So we're... As we record this today, almost three months to, or I'm sorry, three years removed from when you found out, mm-hmm. yeah. when you first started, you know, that 20-week mark of finding out all the specifics with him. Mm-hmm. So even three years later, what's maybe something that you still deal with or Zach still deals with um, when it comes to Miles and the the whole trisomy 18 and, and all that yeah. um grief is a tricky thing it's really sneaky and so you can think that you've moved forward and that a lot of healing has happened and then all of a sudden mother's day comes along or um you know you see an older sister and a younger brother that's kind of around the same age that your two kids should be or you know there's children who were born around the same time that he should have been and you see them starting preschool or you know doing things that um, he should be getting to do and so the challenge really now for me has been realizing how permanent this is you know that there's not ever really going to be anything that changes that he's not here Um, and that we're going to go the rest of our lives and there's going to be all these milestones that he should have been there for and that he's not here. Um, And again, you know that from the beginning, but it's just the further as time moves on, you keep thinking that there's going to be this one thing that kind of flips that switch and that all this healing is going to happen. And um, so far, that hasn't really been the case. Um, And it's also hard because a lot of people that lose children, you know, they're looking for that rainbow baby, as they call it. Um, And it's not replacing the child that you've lost in any way, but it is, you know, moving forward and adding that sibling or expanding Mm -hmm. your family. And um, that's not a guarantee. I think a lot of people think that when you have a loss that the rainbow is kind of a guarantee. Um, And a lot of times it's not, you know, for more than for one reason or another. And so right now for us, God has not chosen to add to our family. Um, He's not put us in a place where we feel like we're ready for that, Um, nor has that happened for us. And so, you know, 
then people have questions about, well, do you ever plan to add to your family? And so kind of navigating through all of that is also, you know, really tough to deal with as well. So we talked about this the other day. Um, People trying to be helpful with what they say. And a lot of times they don't really know what to say to, to, you know, to kind of stick up for them. But how does it make you feel? And what, what are some of those feelings? What are some of the things that they, you know, may say that they're trying to be helpful but right. really it's not and it just stirs up emotions that yes. hurt you um i had to remind myself a lot that people's intentions are good you know you have to remind yourself their intentions are good they're trying to be helpful they don't know what to say and feel like they should say something um a lot of times early in the pregnancy the things that were hardest for me to hear was just have faith or God can work a miracle. You just need to believe that he can do it or, um, you know, he's going to get you through this. And those were all things that I knew. And we did believe that God could work a miracle, but we also saw the reality that that was not how he was choosing to work in our situation at that time. Um, and so when you hear those things, it makes you think, well, maybe your faith is not enough or you know maybe you need to pray harder or do more which is just total opposite of what the gospel of christ is you know it's not about doing more um so those things were really hard again they were well-intentioned um but they were not really encouraging they kind of made us feel like we weren't doing enough or that it was something that we had done you know that had caused the situation that we were facing and i don't believe that that was the case um or others that would tell us, you know, that God was maybe protecting Miles from something, or he was protecting our family, or he was, you know, um, that he had a plan, that he needed Miles and head. You know, just things that, again, people are trying to make sense of it. They're trying to kind of tie the neat bow on the story, because we all want that. We want to know, like, here's the purpose. Here's why this happened. And sometimes we just don't know that. Um, I don't think God always chooses to reveal that. So, Some of those things were very difficult. I would say the things that are helpful are people that ask to hear his story, you know, and that ask us how we're doing and that they're okay with whatever the answer is, you know. Now, was there a point maybe earlier on after the delivery, not immediately after, but some months after where you would not have wanted to tell his story or? Yeah, I was pretty protective of his story initially, um, it kind of felt like that was the only thing I could control. Um, and that was the way that I could parent him was to be a little bit guarded about who I let in to what we had experienced. Um, as we've moved forward, I just, my heart has changed to be that I don't want anybody to ever have to face a situation similar to what we did at all and feel alone. Right. Um, cause it's a very lonely thing to go through just anyway, even if you have people around you supporting you, um, it can just feel lonely. And so uh, there's been a lot of healing for me and getting to share his story and reach out to other moms, you know, who are experiencing similar things and kind of walk alongside them as they've gone through it. Um, It's one of those gifts to where it's been helpful for them and it's also been healing for me. Um, Yeah. So the reason I asked that question is you and I have talked before this a little bit, but be considerate of someone in a similar situation and know the time, you know, if it's right after the labor and delivery part, they're probably not at the point where they want to talk, but you know, just 
you know, you got to judge that with the person, how close you are, all that kind of stuff. But as time moves on and people get back to normal, that's when you may want to start reaching out and tell me, you know, tell me your story. Tell me your child's story and that kind of thing. Or just to say, I'm thinking about you. I'm here if you need me. Um, You know, we had friends that just would drop meals on our porch, sometimes even unannounced. And it was like they knew if they asked us hey, do y'all want anything? We would say, no, we're good. But really, like, that was a decision that it was so nice when it was taken off of our plate. And so um, just finding tangible ways to be there for people, even if they're maybe not ready to have conversations or talk to you, just lets them know that their grief is not forgotten. You know, it's not overlooked. It's not forgotten. Um, And just, again, asking how they're doing and being willing to sit and listen to whatever they feel like sharing at that point, whether that's nothing or whether that's spilling out, you know, what they're facing at that moment. And a good home-cooked meal does help to break up the Chuck E. Cheese buffet (laughs) after once in a while, you know, (laughs) mix it up a little bit. But so let's talk a little bit about what you are doing in the group. Mm -hmm. You found some help through a group, and now you're starting another group to, to try and reach out and help others through similar things. Yeah, so here at Parkway on Monday, June 14th at 530, um, we are starting what's called a Grief Share group. And so Grief Share is a national program that is specifically designed to support those who have experienced the loss of a loved one. So a parent, a child, um, a spouse, a sibling, a close friend, you know, anybody that you've lost close to you through death that where you feel like you need some support in grief. Um And God really put that on my heart at the end of last year, especially with COVID that we had just walked through. You know, there's been a lot of extra loss um, in our church and, you know, in the country and in the world as a whole. Um, And grief is so isolating anyway that then to have to go through it where the world is in a period of isolation, you know, and we can't physically be together and you know you don't know about bringing people meals and all those things that we typically do sort of were different over the last year um and so god just put this desire on my heart for people again not to have to feel alone um and so it's been great to watch him open doors uh to start this ministry up here at our church um and so it's it's a 13 week program Um, Each week, a different topic related to grief is covered um, through video sessions and some group discussion. And it's just a place where those who are grieving can come and find that judgment-free, you know, place to talk with others who have experienced something similar to what they've gone through um, and really process their grief and try to heal from it um, and, and just have that support group atmosphere um, for those that need that as they walk through grief, whether that grief has been recent or years to decades ago. You know, there's no time limit because everybody processes grief differently and you have different things about grief that hit you at different stages. Right. And you said it earlier, you know, where you you are almost three or you are three years away from from this event happening Mm -hmm. and grief still hits you, you know, kind of out of the blue at times. So. It, for people that may want to come to this group or one near them, wherever they may be listening, I mean, is this something where you just sit around and cry and, and pat each other on the back, or how how is it structured to help people? Yeah, it is not a cry fest. That's not the intention. Um, I am sure tears will happen because when you're remembering those that you've lost and you're reliving, oh, yeah. you know, the pain of losing them. Um, emotions happen and emotions are part of healing. You know, I think we sometimes 
when we shut those emotions down, it can delay some of that healing process. Um, I think God gave us emotions for a reason. And so I'm sure that does happen. But no, the intention is not just to sit around and cry um, with each other. Um, There are specific topics about grief that are discussed to try to help, you know, is what I'm experiencing normal? Um, What does God say about grief? What does God say about comfort and healing and, you know, kind of looking at the spiritual aspects of grief along with some of the practical considerations that you have to walk through in grieving. Um, So it really is set up to sort of help move through the grief process um, and to allow people a chance to share their story, but also to get insight from counselors and experts who have dealt with grief-related topics, who have experienced grief themselves, um, offering some different perspectives and strategies for dealing with some of the things that you can face when you're grieving. Well, Amanda, I thank you very much for coming, and um, this is not something easy to share and like you said earlier you know kind of just opening your life and your soul and emotions you know for for anyone to listen and hear and and help but I do think it will help and if anyone listens to this and you want some more information about um, our particular grief share outreach or or ministry um, email us podcast at parkwaybc.net and we will put you in touch with Amanda or or any one of our other staff members who can help get you in the right direction but Amanda thank you very much for sharing and being willing and able (laughs) and um, uh, talking about miles with us and and I I do think that God will 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 touch someone else through this and that it'll help and and also the grief share program so yeah thank you and you know, you being a, a private person, as you said earlier, you know, being willing to lead a class, lead a ministry like that is um, God directed. I mean, we we talked about that a couple of weeks ago with with Rico, and you know, not having coincidence in our life that God has a plan, and and we don't always understand it, um, but I think He's going to use you to touch and help a lot of other people and and build His kingdom. That. So. We always finish here with a Bible verse, so um, today we're in the book of John, um, John chapter 16, and um, after talking with Amanda the other day, this was kind of on my heart, so this is John chapter 16 and verse 22, and this is Jesus talking, and he says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So even though we go through difficult times, Jesus... um, has a plan for us and um, if we give our lives to him we're going to experience that ultimate joy and and uh, have eternity with him in heaven so uh, thank you all for listening and we hope to see you on the next episode and it's that easy you're, you're done thank you for listening to gps to god please leave us a rating on itunes and also subscribe on youtube And hit the bell if you'd like to receive notifications when new episodes air.